Hey, welcome to the Cake Adjacent Podcast, a once a week update on all things food, family, community, gardening, whatever. We call it Sidecar. If it has to do with the rituals around food and holidays, making food or taking it places, or remembering what we were eating during the important times in our lives, we'll talk about it here. Hi, friends. By my count, which I'm going to admit could be wrong because I am so very bad at math and also numbering and filing things, this is the 15th Sidecar episode. Thank you so much for sticking with me. It feels weird not to be dropping a Two Chocolate Cakes episode on Wednesdays, but I have a good list of almost 20 stories and recipes for season two, and I just have to get cracking and write them. In the meantime, I will continue to keep you posted on what is going on in the garden, the farmer's market, my kitchen, and my very cluttered brain. Yesterday, I made a batch of strawberry jam, but I used a recipe that I haven't used before, and this morning I realized that none of the jam had set up. Now, there are a few reasons that this could have happened. I used a pectin, which was not the pectin recommended, but honestly, pectin is pectin. And I also used more pectin, but that absolutely should have made it set up. And I used less sugar and more strawberries than the recipe called for. So basically, I didn't really follow the recipe at all. I don't doubt that the recipe was good, though, because it was one from Ball, which is kind of the gold standard for all things canning. But now I have 20 half-pint jars of chunky strawberry sauce, which is fine. I am not disappointed, to be honest. I could probably open all those jars and reprocess it or run it through my immersion blender and make it very much a strawberry sauce or syrup and recan it. What do you think I should do with it? I've already made one batch of strawberry sauce a few weeks ago, so I'm not sure I actually need 30 jars of strawberry sauce. I really like experimenting in the kitchen. It's as close to science as this humanities major is going to get besides working in the garden, I guess. And railing against climate change in my day job. And I'm rarely disappointed when things come out wrong. Almost every time something comes out wrong, it's because of user error on my part, because I try not to use recipes that are not fully vetted by professionals. I love that people still have recipe blogs and videos and stuff, but unless I'm sure that they fully understand the science of how ingredients work together, it's doubtful that I will follow one of their recipes. That's why I like cookbooks and why I love old cookbooks with like 50 years or more of reprintings and editions. I think I've mentioned before that I have a few favorites, although I will still buy new cookbooks by cookbook authors that I love. Probably my two all-time favorites are the Better Homes and Garden three-ring binder cookbook that I got as a shower gift for my first wedding that has the red and white check cover And honestly, more cookbooks should be spiral bound or have ring binders so they stay open easier. And the Joy of Cooking cookbook, which my mother gave me when I got my first apartment. And aside, and not an ad at all because I'm not sponsored by them, I also have an online recipe keeper app called Pepper Plate that I love. I pay $35 a year for it. I have it on my phone, on my computer, and on my iPad and it allows me to scale recipes up or down. Um, it's, it's an awesome app. I highly recommend it if you are looking for some kind of digital recipe keeping uh, app. 
My mother and my sister both have really good senses of how food worked together. And my sister has worked in food service, although usually in front of the house for pretty much her entire adult life. And if you follow the Two Chocolate Cakes podcast, you know that I was married to a chef and that my sister is now on her second chef husband. So we have had an embarrassment of riches when it comes to professional food people in our family. And despite having the most unremarkable and unrefined palate, I feel like I have a really good sense of how food works together, especially when it comes to non-meat-related things. Almost all the jams and sauces I make with summer produce are made using a simple basic recipe from the Ball Blue Book of Preserving. And then I just go wild with things like ginger and vanilla and lavender and mint and basil and whatever else I got going on in the garden. Lemongrass, sage, thyme, whatever. Same with cookies. I start with a good foundation and then I just build up. Just like when I'm making a garden, actually, it really isn't that much different. So back to the strawberry jam that didn't set up. What is curious is that I used a recipe from Ball that I found online, but not the recipe from my Ball Blue Book of Preserving. Um, and I'll need to look and see what is different about it, that it didn't set up to get firm enough to be jam. Certainly, it's possible that if I just pop it in the fridge, it will chill enough to be jammy versus saucy but I'm not sure it will make the best peanut butter and strawberry jam sandwich if it's this soupy. And I was reminded by my friend Kathy on the Twitter that back in the day when I made jam with my mom, we sealed the jars not with lids and bands like we do now, but with wax. We'd spend the morning at Scott's Pick Your Own Fields and then come home and clean the strawberries and make a dozen half-pint jars, sealing them with paraffin. I can even remember the block of wax. It came in a box that said Gulf on the front, and there it was orange and blue. And it, it kind of like the, well, maybe I'm conflating it with the actual gas station. But anyway... It was the only thing we preserved, and that was strawberry jam. We didn't do peaches or applesauce or dilly beans or pickles, just those strawberries. And here's what my canning season looks like. While I didn't do any this year or last year, I will often do a big batch of blood orange marmalade in January when the blood oranges hit the stores. But this is an incredibly labor-intensive project, and the last two years I have just not had the energy. But in the winter of maybe this year, but maybe the winter of next year, I'll do a whole series on marmalades because they make a great gift, by the way, uh, because they are hard to make. And well, it's not that they're hard to make. They're just, they take a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of fruit. Um, and you cut the crap out of your thumb uh, with all of the, with all the knife work you have to do. But anyway. Um, I think they're a great gift uh, because I know how much effort goes into them. Anyway, spring starts with strawberries in May and into June, and I'll make sauce or jam out of some, and then I'll freeze a couple pounds for later in the season. When Ben's parents lived in North Carolina, we'd often take a trip down there in uh, May to uh, this pick your own at a family friend's farm, and their prices were so good. Um, much better than in Northern Virginia. And I can tell you that inflation has definitely hit the strawberry market. The last few years, a case of strawberries, which is 10 to 12 pounds, depending on how big the strawberries are, cost me 
at the farmer's market. And this year it's 40. Um, up here, I think it is less inflation and more what the market will bear though. But you know, farmers have to get paid too and their costs have absolutely gone up in the last year, two years. So I've been paying those prices, but I do not love paying those prices. Okay, so then in late June and early July, we get peaches and strawberries, uh, excuse me, peaches and raspberries, and we are right on the cusp of that now. I make a lot of peach sauce, peach jam, peach vanilla jam, which is so good, I got to tell you, peach ginger jam, which is kind of savory, and my sister says it's awesome on a pork chop or on duck, white peach jam and white peach jam sauce, which I think is really just so delicious on cheesecake, just plain cheesecake. And if I can get my paws on black raspberries, then I make the most indulgent black raspberry and lemon jam. And it is it is so dark. It's like it's like wine. Um, it, it's, it's a whole different um, flavor po profile. And it also make a syrup that is perfect as a sweet flavoring for cocktails. I'm not sure I would call it a shrub per se, but it's still a good, you definitely can use it for cocktails. Um, but I can rarely get more than a few quarts of black raspberries around here. Um, so at the same time that peaches are coming in, so are plums. You know, it's all stone fruit comes in at the same time. And plum and lemon and lavender jam is one of the best things I have ever come up with. It smells so good. The secret is making sure that you don't leave the lavender in for too long. I wrap up a few teaspoons of lavender, culinary lavender, uh, in some cheesecloth, so it's kind of like a little tea bag, and I let it bubble around in the jam, um, excuse me, in the plums and lemon and sugar for a bit, and then I pull it out before it infuses too much lavender taste. And if I can get my hands on some red plums, then I make the most beautiful red plum jelly, which is bright pink. But those have been hard to come by the last few years, and I am, of course, blaming climate change for that. Figs also happen around the same time, and I do a sweet fig jam, and I also do a savory fig spread with red wine or port, which is really good on goat cheese or with goat cheese. And let's not forget about relishes, cucumber, as well as sweet pepper relish, which was one of my beloved stepfather's favorite things that we would make. And Ben gets all involved in the relishes because he likes to make hot relish as well as hot sauces, which we also make. And we learned the hard way that we need gloves and N95 masks and eye protection when we're working with hot peppers. And so it looks very much like we're cooking meth when we are making our hot pepper stuff. Folks on the Patreon will be in for a treat when I post those pictures because they're pretty funny. And if things start coming in a little too fast and furious, we just clean, run a few cups or a pound or two of whatever it is we're working on through our seal a meal and we throw it in our freezer. We have a seven foot cubic, excuse me, seven cubic foot freezer that we absolutely could not do without. Um, and here's a thing that I think farm stands and farm markets should offer, though, and that is frozen stuff by the pound, like stuff that they can't sell before it starts to fall apart. Throw it in the freezer. I will totally buy it later in the summer when I realize I am short a pound of two of raspberries or strawberries or whatever I need frozen fruit for. And I'm sure there's a reason why this isn't offered anywhere, but I still think that it should be. 
And finally, at the end of the summer, it is all about apples and applesauce, maple apples, apples, cinnamon apples, and lemon apples, and peach and apples. And all of that made into sauce, plus jars of apple pie filling. Oh, and I almost forget everyone's favorite, the boozy cherries that are perfect for garnishing your drinks. But the thing about the cherries is that I have to buy them retail at the grocery store. And if anyone knows how I can get a 10-pound box of those dark red cherries and the rainier cherries from the western part of the country, let me know. When I lived in Oregon, we'd drive out to the farms where they grow them and just buy 10 pounds of them at a time and make ourselves sick on them. I have no issue buying retail from the farmer's market, but buying retail at the grocery store is painful. The one fruit I don't really do a lot with is blueberries, and I'm just not sure what to do with them as far as preserving. Blueberry pie filling? Blueberry syrup or sauce? I don't know. If you have any ideas, hit me up. So the only kind of canning that I do is hot water bath canning of high acid foods, which means no meat, no low acid things like corn or carrots or mushrooms, things that need to be pressure canned. If I ever have a lot of those things, they just get cleaned and thrown in the freezer. Every now and then I think about getting a pressure canner and then I easily talk myself out of it. I feel very comfortable with the acid level of everything we hot water bath and it is easy to tell if the seal is true and the whole pressure of pressure canning is well too much pressure but i'd love to hear from you if you pressure can maybe you can talk me into it there's lots of things we could can if i could just get over my discomfort of pressure canners okay so that's the update of the start of jam season here at our house no deeper hidden meaning this episode no metaphors no sad stories, uh, just stuff I like to can and how I can it. And I'd love to hear about what you preserve and why and how, and if I can ever figure out a way to do a decent video in a well-lighted and clean kitchen, I'd be happy to give everyone who would love to learn how to can a lesson. Okay, so in other news, it was my and Ben's 16th wedding anniversary, and the last two years we have barely celebrated because of this, and this is me gesturing wildly at the universe, um, because of all of the things going on in the world. But this year we said we were going to actually go out to dinner, and we did. And we went to this funny little strip plaza shopping center Italian restaurant called Semifredo, which was absolutely awesome. I posted the menu on Twitter, and I had the pappardelle, which is a very wide, flat pasta, which is kind of like a half a lasagna noodle with wild mushrooms in a Parmesan cream sauce, which was not at all heavy. And Ben had the duck in a balsamic reduction with polenta and fresh vegetables that he said was delicious. We each had a martini to start. I had a dragon fruit martini with mashed dragon fruit, San Germain liqueur, and Tito's vodka, and it was so delicious, and I can't stop thinking about it. And it was also fuchsia colored, which is one of my favorite of all the pink colors. Ben had a really good looking sort of pale pinkish colored martini called the Semifredo martini, which was Bombay Sapphire Gin, Cointreau, blue curacao and the lemon twist and also had a little a little basil leaf on top but mine was definitely better for dessert we had tiramisu and the semifredo which were both very good but very simple the staff was incredibly attentive and you would never have known that the restaurant was next to a dry cleaner and a 7-eleven in this parking lot the ambience was quite elegant inside with a very big open show kitchen and we'll definitely go back 
they are doing a wine dinner at the end of the month and Ben really wants to go, but the menu is way too ambitious for me and I don't drink wine. So hopefully we can find him a date. So that was this week. Um, how about the food holidays? Can you believe that we're already halfway through June already? Time is so weird, isn't it? Like sometimes it moves so quickly and then sometimes it just plods along and you just never know what you're going to get. Okay, so today is June 12th and it's National Peanut Butter Cookie Day. And I know I've told you more than once that my favorite peanut butter cookie recipe is from Better Homes and Gardens. Um, I might even make some today. Uh, after talking with my friend Jen about her peanut butter cookie uh, recipe failure, I feel like I need to set the universe right again by making a decent set of cookies. It is also International Falafel Day, and I am a huge fan of falafel, but I do not like it when it has been overcooked. Um, and too often it has been, and I wonder if that's the default. Um, I honestly don't know. Tomorrow, Monday the 13th, is Kitchen Klutzes of America Day, which means you can drop whatever you want on the floor and eat it without a five-second rule. I don't know. I just made that up. It's also Eat Flexitarian Day, which I first read as Eat a Flexitarian, and I was like, huh, that's a new one. But no, Flexitarian just means eating mostly plant-based foods and eating meat in moderation. So it's just one step closer to being a vegetarian without fully committing. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. Tuesday is Strawberry Shortcake Day, and I actually prefer a slightly sweet biscuit as my shortcake because that's how my mother makes it. But I also like plain yellow or white cake as a shortcake. I mean, there's really no bad shortcake, is there? Tuesday is also National Bourbon Day, and I'm not a fan, but I do sometimes use it when I'm making my own vanilla extract, and I've been known to pour a little into my peach preserves. Wednesday is National Lobster Day, and you know I don't eat lobster, so let me know if you want me to send you my portion. Now, Thursday, very important day, Thursday. Thursday is fudge day. And I really hope that you all plan on celebrating by sending me fudge. Just kidding. Or am I? I do love fudge. My favorite fudge is the Panucci walnut that comes from the hot chocolate sparrow on Cape Cod. I have a really good homemade fudge recipe from my grandmother. And that recipe will be in the next season of two chocolate cakes. So I can't give it to you now. Friday the 17th is a twofer. It's a fresh veggies day and it's National Apple Strudel Day. Two very good holiday days. But I do think that fresh veggies should get more than one day. Saturday is a threefer. Cherry Tart Day, National Picnic Day, and International Sushi Day. <clears throat> now look, here's the thing. I do not think that sushi is a good picnic food. But I'm also not going to tell you how to live your life. If you want to pick up sushi at the gas station and put it in a picnic basket and drive four hours into the country and then hike another hour in the hot sun before you get to your location and then eat your sushi and cherry tarts, you do you, my friend. Okay, that's the news for this week. I was reminded by a farm friend this morning that you should never skip the farmer's market when it's raining because that's when the farmers need us the most. This will always be a constant refrain for me, and I know I talked about it last week about how important farmers are, that if we do not support our small farmers in our region, wherever our region is, then we will lose them, and we will lose the open space and the wildlife habitats that many of them also provide. 
we went yesterday in the rain and today in the rain, and there were definitely fewer people there, and the produce was absolutely gorgeous, and I didn't melt. Make the farmer's markets part of your weekly grocery shop. I don't know about you, friends, but farmers saved our family at the beginning of the pandemic when stores were closed and supply chains were disrupted and people were really uncomfortable, myself included, about shopping in indoor spaces. Getting the farmer's markets open and being able to see people and shop, even with our masks on, two plus years ago was a big part of feeling like the world wasn't completely falling apart for me. Of course, later in the year, it would completely fall apart, but that wasn't the farmer's market's fault. Anyway, support your local farmers. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so see you next week. And until then, keep sharing and rating the podcast and join the Patreon if you want extra extra. Please chime in and give me an idea of what I might do with all this strawberry stuff that didn't get firm enough to be jam. Give everyone sauce or reprocess it with some clear gel or what. Maybe clean out your freezer this weekend so you can put some fresh produce into it. Oh, and it's probably time for a new toothbrush. 